But we've been going to India since 1991, and um, various other places. We've been we've been many places around the world. I think was your first trip to Peru, yeah. Peru, uh, with Dr. Bill Pepper. Some of you may know him. He lives out here in the valley, and um, he introduced us to um, India. And you know, I was reading the other day a book by Mike Murdoch. I don't know if any of you know him. I I don't follow his teachings, but I happen to be blessed with that book from an old friend who passed away and was at um, her estate. But anyway, he was talking about golden connections and golden friendships. And um, we've had some of those in our lives, and especially for India. We didn't intend to be missionaries. We pastored um, for about 26 years, and um, then uh, the Lord just uh, freed us from that and freed us from secular work, and um, because Jason's always been uh, bivocational. But uh, we, we love India especially. Uh, more recently, we've been going to Africa, to Uganda, and um, Uganda's beautiful. It's very peaceful. India's very different because they have... Um, um, Hindu temples on every corner and loud music of their singing and all their uh, demonic carvings and things all over. So it's very, very different. But we've come to love them. The people are beautiful. The Christians absolutely put us to shame. <laughs> we usually stay in rooms that are, are um, made um, behind the sanctuary of the church that we visit with, with uh, Bishop Jackson. And um, all day, all night, there are people praying. No matter what time you go out, if we go early in the morning to the airport, they're there praying. Um, some of the widows are sleeping in corners. They're, they're there praying 24 hours a day, 24-7. I mean, every day of the, of the you know, year. And uh, that church has grown. But Bill Pepper um, took us to India in 91, and uh, we went to South India. We were supposed to go to Calcutta, but our connections, we couldn't get a hold of the, the pastor there uh, before the day of our flying out. So uh, being our first trip, Bill said, no, you're, you're not going to go. Well, another young man who was assigned to uh, take care of us while we were there said, my wife has an uncle in Bangalore who has a little church. Would you like to go there? And so we went there for three days and, and got to know Francis Jackson. And he actually um, knows a lot of people here in, in Wasilla. Um, he's friends with Peter Gallardo, and he comes at least once a year and ministers over there. So if you ever get a chance to listen to him, he's a great man of God. And so we're going to go, and I wanted to read Romans 10, Romans 10, chapter 10. This is a favorite scripture of mine, which has just kind of um, kept me going and, and propelled me and, and Jason too. And, and starting in um, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So India has many preachers. They have Christians, men and women who go out. We have helped to actually build <clears throat> physical churches 
um, out in villages. But um, God has called each and every one of us to preach the gospel. Amen? Uh, our te- we give a testimony here. He's preaching. He's preaching the good news. He's preaching about how God has supplied his needs. Our neighbors, our, our school teachers, our, you know, whether in college with our classmates or whatever, God has called us to preach the word of God. And we are a living testimony unto him. So he has called us to go to foreign lands, and we've said, Lord, you know, wherever we're invited, uh, if you provide the funds and the way and the means, we'll go. I'll be going to Philippines in um, April. I don't think Jason's going, but he might change his mind. <laughs> but uh, so we'll have some pictures for you after this trip when we get back in two weeks. And, and um, you know, we thank you for your love towards us. We've known Nancy and Mark for a long time. I don't want to tell everyone how old we are, but a, a long enough time. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, we've associated with them in other places, but not uh, here. But the Lord's led us here at this time. So we're, we're going to stay for a while as long as we're in town. We'll be in and out. But thank you so much. Thanks, honey. Hallelujah. <clears throat> well, I'm all full of the word. So I've got about six messages in my mind, and I can't figure out what to talk about. So. I'm going to really just let the Holy Spirit move as he desires. I told Mark the other night that I wanted to preach on, what did I tell you? As a man's, as a man thinketh in his heart. And I don't know if I really want to start there. I might just take a stab at it. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, their physical body didn't die. And their soul did not die, but their spirit died. And their first offspring was Cain. So the, the first offspring of a, of a man that's not got the Spirit of God in them, act like Cain. And Cain said, the work of my hand should please God. And so much of what we do in the church is to try to please God. You know, and we, and we do works. The problem with that is that then you become evaluated by your works. If you do lots of works, you're a good guy. If you don't, you're a bad guy. But that is not how God values you. His brother Abel came, and he uh, took from God a lamb and gave back a firstling of his flock and gave it back to God. Now, he had no involvement in that. And yet God was pleased with his sacrifice, and he was displeased with Cain's. So it's two different types of people. Now when uh, Rebecca's, uh, Isaac's wife Rebecca was pregnant with uh, twins, she said there was a battle going on in, in her womb. 
And she, and she went to the priest, and, she, and the priest prayed about it, and he said, there are two manners of people in, in, that you're carrying. One of them was Esau, who b wanted to be in the world by his own strength, and the other was a poor old Jacob, who just did what his mom said and ended up in the wilderness. But God met him in the wilderness. Hallelujah. Whatever we focus on, we give power to. So, if we are always focused upon our sin, then we are giving power to the law. And we are always in defeat. Does that make sense? I, I heard a guy talk the other day on a tape. He said, if I had a, a friend that lied to me as much as my feelings did, he wouldn't be my friend very long. So there's got to be a different way that we approach God, and the way that we approach God is the cross. Hallelujah. It's not the cross plus my effort that gets, you, gets me to be uh, on God's side. It is the cross. And we've got to come to a place in the church where we quit striving and evaluating ourselves by what we do and evaluate ourselves by the word of God and what he has done. Now, every answer to prayer, every miracle in your life is going to be uh, hung by faith by a, on a thread on a promise of God. Everything that's going to come from God is hung by your faith on a thread and it's attached to a promise of God. So if we are trying to please God by our own performance, then we always have the possibility of doubt. And if we have in doubt, doubt breaks the string of faith. So if we are evaluating ourselves by what we do or how good I can be before God, we have interjected a, a rotten thread in that string of faith. So God wants to deal with how we handle faith. God really needs the church and the people of God to stand up in faith and believe the word of God. Now, if you, if you got any, um, any close ties with Eve, you could back and ask her about this. She didn't believe the word of God, and doubt was inter introduced, and she fell. And then she gave birth to a man full of doubt. So God wants us to deal with that. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to go back and tell you kind of how I got on this. I uh, <clears throat> was in a tough place in my life. I was just kind of wandering, flopping about. And my wife and I said, well, we're going to make a trip over to Whitehorse to see an old pastor friend of ours. And when we got there, we found out that his 33-year-old daughter had passed away. And we expected him to be in, in mourning. 
But here's this husband and wife, and they're just full of the energy of God, and full of the Spirit, and full of victory. And as he began to share with, with us, we found out that in the brokenness of this thing, God had opened the very portals of heaven. It was like him standing in a Cat 5 hurricane in the eye of the storm, and God revealed the heavens to him. And I came back from that, and I was so uh, sad that that had never happened to me. But he filled me with books and tapes and came back. And so I started about a three-week, four-week um, time when I would just go into my room and I'd begin to read these books about communicating with God and wanting God to intervene in my life and just weeping before the Lord. <laughs> I don't think my wife knew how much Kleenex I was using. <laughs> but I wanted God to do something. I wanted, uh, I wanted a tangible thing for God to touch me. And after about three weeks of this, I was on my face before the Lord. It took me quite a while to get down there at my age. But I, I made it down and I was, began to just be quiet before the Lord and listening, waiting on him to say something. And he said, now, now that you're down here, he said, get up, read Acts 12. <laughs> so I did. Didn't know, I didn't know if it was me or God, but I felt to do it and be an obedient. And I'm going to read it and show you how God opened it up to me. It says, Now about this time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, with the, the brother of John, with a sword, because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, that being Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him in four quatrains of soldiers to keep, to keep him, intending that after Easter to, to, to bring him forth to the people. Peter was kept in prayer, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church. When I was reading that, the scripture came to me, that, Thy name is Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So I began to see that this, what God was saying to me, wasn't about this man in history here, but it was for the church. And it says prayer was given continually for the church. Now a lot of times we'll pray for our needs, but we don't pray for victory in the church. We don't pray for the, the, the breaking forth in the church that God would actually come in his presence and break in upon us. Hallelujah. And when Herod would have brought him, being Peter, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keeper before the door kept the prison. And as I saw the church, as I saw Peter, I saw him sleeping between two guards, and having two chains on him. Now it kind of bothered me that there was a number of two chains. 
because probably one would hold me. <laughs> so there, I, I just kind of put that on the shelf. There's something about that too. And then it said that the ain't. Let's see. So he's asleep, and um, he's he's bound with two chains. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him and said, Raise up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So as we see the church, and we're praying for the church, we're praying for power in the church. The church is asleep. They sent the angel of the Lord to wake up the church. Now, now I had always read this scripture as a historic account. I'd never seen a spiritual allegory in it. And yet it's just there and it's beautiful. It's God. He can do that sort of thing. It's his word. Hallelujah. And the chains fell off. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, which means put on truth. Bind sandals on your feet. You've got things to do. And so he did, and he said, and cast the garment about thee, and follow me. Now this garment is the robe of righteousness. In the Old Testament, it's almost the exact same verbiage that he used, that, that Moses said to the children of Israel. Almost verbatim. But he said, pick up your rod, and, and our rod is the garment of salvation. It's, it's the robe of righteousness that we carry. Hallelujah. And he went out and followed him, and it was not what it was true, what was done by the angel, but thought and he saw a vision. And then he went past the first and the second ward, and they came to the iron gate, which leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out, and passed through from one street, and the angel departed. Now, so I looked up that word, iron gate. And that word iron in the Greek means hidden. So the church is not only asleep, it's not only bound by chains, but it's also hidden from the world, from the city. God is going to do something before the return of Jesus. He's going to show forth a glorious church, a glorious bride. He's going to demonstrate by the church to the world the goodness of God. So if you're like me and you spend a lot of time on OAN or Fox News, you can get overwhelmed and feel yucky and feel like there's no hope. But I believe God wants us to begin to pray for the church that the spirit of the almighty God would drop again on the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then he went on, and I'm going to paraphrase now. He went on, and he knocked at the door of uh, Mary's house, mother of Mark, where they were praying. And he knocked on the door, and there was a, a girl in there by the name of Rhoda, which heard him. And Rhoda's name in the Greek means servant. So she's a servant, 
but she doesn't know what to do about it. So she goes to, the, to the, those that are in the back room praying, where she probably should have been, and um, they said, you're out of your mind. It can't be Peter. And a lot of us have prayed for the church for so long that if something were to happen in the church, we'd doubt whether it was really of God. Now, I'm, I'm going to just tell you, uh, Mark and Nancy and Karen and I are, probably came to the Lord within a year or two of each other. There was such a teaching out of the Old Testament, so much revelation out of the Old Testament, that we began to see Father God as, a, as an ogre. Okay? We saw Jesus as love, but we saw Father God as an ogre, as a judgmental. But Jesus wouldn't have come had it not been for the love of the Father. God wants us to realize that the Father loves you. He will not reject you. Hallelujah. And faith worketh by love. And it's not our love. It's his love. Hallelujah. So I'm going to go back and talk about these two chains because that's really, to me, it, it, it is the two chains that bind the church. So I got to th trying to wonder and thinking and meditating and praying about the two chains thing. The, what are these two chains that bind the church? And uh, I thought, I finally came to the conclusion, well, maybe it's got something to do with Herod. You know, brilliant. He started the whole story. And so I was in a, a Bible bookstore in Pensacola, Florida. And I thought, well, I'll just go in there and get one of these vines and read it, and it won't cost me. I don't have to buy the book. <laughs> I'll just read about Herod, and then I'll put it back on the shelf. And there was a, there was, it, it sticks in my mind what that said. It said, Herod was an Edomite who married into the Jewish people for political gain. Now that is a mouthful. I said, aha, two chains. One, he rejected his birthright. He rejected the authority of God. And number two, he married into legalism. Hallelujah. Those are the two chains that bind the church. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We have to receive fully the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we can understand that and do that, we will see that we are seated with him in heavenly places. And we pray not from earth, oh God, please, but we pray from the third heaven, the high heaven, and we proclaim the word of God in the earth. Hallelujah. But if we're tied up with these two chains, we'll begin to pray, we'll begin to work and 
tarry before the Lord, and Satan will drop a downer on you. And pretty quick you just say, well, I have no strength to do anything. God doesn't hear me anymore. And, you ha and your faith goes, or you, or you can read this thing that uh, Paul, uh, Jesus says in Matthew, it says, all power in heaven and earth has been given me. Go ye therefore, and, in, in, and I will be with you always. The authority, it says in John 20, it says, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. The authority has been passed to us. But if you don't believe that you're righteous before God, how can you have faith? to believe that he's given you the authority to tread on serpents. You'll be powerless. Hallelujah. God wants the church to realize that they have been truly set free, made holy, righteous before God. You are no longer under the identity of the old man. I'm going to say this, I probably should cover the mic up, but every time I hear somebody say, I am, I am a sinner, saved by grace, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Now, you guys probably don't do that on your little screens, but us old folks, we know what it means to run your fingers down a chalkboard. Because they haven't realized that they have come from Adam, their identity being in Adam, to their identity being in Christ. Hallelujah. God has so much more. He wants to turn the church loose. He wants us to be able to go to that person who is in a need in their life and lay hands on them and have them healed. Not doubting. Not maybe healed. Maybe if they're good enough, you'll be healed. But God's heart is that Jesus healed them all. And he wants a church that'll do that. Hallelujah. This is not going to preach very good in a lot of churches in America. <laughs> Hallelujah where they say that I, I am a sinner saved by grace. It sounds so holy and so righteous. And yet, if they are in Christ, they are holy brethren. They have access to the throne of God and thereby access by Jesus to the Father. Hallelujah. Now that's got to sink in a little bit. You're going to have to hear that more than once. But we are not poor worms pleading with God. But we are holy brethren made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other thing we can do. Jesus was talking to... Um, uh, let's see if I missed that one. I missed. It's gone. Hallelujah. I think I better stop there. But do you understand what I mean? 
we need to begin to think what's in our heart. How, how, do, how do we see forward? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I, I fight with this tooth and nail. There, there is such a war that has opened up in my life since I realized that God wanted me to, to be a holy man. And not only wanted me to be, but because I am dead and buried with him in the water of baptism, I am. We were crucified with him. We died with him. We were buried with him in the water of baptism. These are things that are already done. We were made alive with him. We were risen with him. We were seated with him. And we were enthroned with him. But if Satan can keep you wondering, he can keep you totally powerless. Hallelujah. I want to see the Church of America strong, confident. Instead of losing ground and living in fear of tomorrow, to begin to be militant about taking tomorrow for God. Hallelujah. God did it all. Jesus did it all. So that we have access to the Father. And we can sit in the third heaven and proclaim by binding and loosening. We can proclaim victory on earth. But it's got to be in your head. There's, there's a thing that's, that's been running in my mind. It says, how shall they proclaim what they've never believed or never understood? How will they understand unless somebody tells them? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just meditate on that. You are not worthless worms. That worthless worm is on the cross. But we are blood-bought, spirit-filled, dynamic, holy brethren, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So when Satan begins to tell you, oh yeah, you're, you probably won't be able to do that, you haven't gone to school, you, you know. Remember back when you were in high school? Yeah. disqualified you you can tell him no shut up that old man is dead hung on a tree by my savior in a perfect perfect death burial and resurrection for me hallelujah hallelujah I'll just pray is that enough time Amen. Let me do just one more thing, because he didn't say, Shno, be quiet. I want to just read this the other day in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, the ninth and tenth chapter, there's a couple things that I've made an asker by. 
I better get in the right book here. Okay, here we go. The marvelous provision of Christ. But it says that, they're talking about the Old Testament, it says that offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that came to the, uh, to, to the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. This law cannot. And yet, in, let's see where it is here. Got my little 10.22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. There is hope and provision for us to walk with a pure conscience because of the mighty work that Jesus did on the cross. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? It, it, your conscience couldn't walk clear while you walk in the law. But when you walk in the liberty of Jesus' work, you can have a clear conscience hallelujah that that seems to me I've walked in in condemnation so long it seems impossible yet it's God's word and if I will hang my uh, my desire on a fret of faith without doubt on that promise it'll come true God wants us to begin to walk as faith people, faith people, believe his word, get back to where Eve was before she had the apple. Amen? Amen. I'll leave you alone. Amen. You know, uh, in Galatians, it says, uh, Paul's talking to the Galatians, he says, uh, who's fooled you? you? You started out in the spirit, now you think you're going to fulfill it through deeds of the flesh? Uh, think about that. Can, can you keep all the rules and regulations of the law? Eve, Adam and Eve had one. Only one rule. <laughs> Only one. And they couldn't keep it. Now think of today, all the rules and regulations that uh, the, the religions, uh, religions of today, uh, Christianity even, wants to put on you, it's got to come back to just you and Jesus. He did it all on the cross for you. And uh, I'll tell you what, I am glad for that. I am really glad for that. I'm glad that Jesus did it all. It says here, going on in Galatians, that he became a curse for me. Hallelujah. Well, that was a good word. Uh, I want to pray for them. They're going to India, and uh, they're going to need prayers.
So can uh, you come up here? We're going to pray for you. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going <clears> to... <throat> Who's all going with you on this trip? Uh, we, have, um, we have a gal from Fairbanks who is going. We have a gal from Detroit who is going. And we have a young man from San Francisco. He's on the police force in San Francisco, and he's going with us. So we have a team of five this time. Right, and you're going to be there two weeks. Two weeks. All right. Give us a highlight of one of the things you're going to do while you're there. We are having a three-day women's conference, and this is a first. We've never been able to minister to just women. It's always been, um, you know, a group. And we will also have two days of pastor's conference, or leader's conference. Um, and some of those will be women also. But India is one of those countries where women are oppressed. There's a lot of Muslims in um, India. And women, you know, women are in the workforce, but um, they're not cared for. And uh, like American women, so uh, this is this is really thrilling to me that uh, we are able to do this. So uh, we'll be going out to one other. Um, I'll call it a village. Their villages are not like our villages that are maybe have 200 people. Their villages maybe have. 15,000, but they're smaller than the, the big city. And so we'll be going out to there. And um, Jesse, who is going with us, um, his heart is to help um, people to have clean water. And so he, he travels and he takes with him water filtration kits. And so we're going to find a little, uh, little village somewhere that he can uh, plant one of those kits to. So living water of God and pure water to drink for the body.